This episode of the National Trust podcast was made possible by Cotswold Outdoor, recommended outdoor retail partner for the National Trust. Welcome to the National Trust podcast. In the last episode, we explored Box Hill in the Surrey Hills. It was a really amazing trip, full of breathtaking views and our very first National Trust podcast proposal. In this mini episode, we're going to learn about Box Hill's mysterious military history. Just come out from the visitor centre and walked through the car park and down a slope and sort of hidden in this little hollow is a really odd building. It's sort of flat roofed with little sort of chimneys in the top. It's mainly brick built. It's obviously quite old looking at the bricks itself. You've got lots of sort of doorways going round it. And actually just looking through sort of grated door, looks like there's somebody inside. So hopefully they'll be able to tell me what it's all about. Let's get in out of this rain. Hello there. Hiya. Hi, I'm Kate. Andy. Hi, Andy. So what do you do up here at Boxell? I'm a countryside manager. Usually this isn't open to the public. But it's a, it's a funny place, it almost feels like a wine cellar and there you go, I think I'm showing one of my favourite hobbies there, but it's sort of brick built, you can see there's lots and lots of little rooms. What is this odd building? So it's built in the 1890s and back then we'd, uh, Napoleon had been beaten in 1815 and British being a British rested on the laurels and didn't invest in the navy as they should have done. And because even in the uh, 1840s, Wellington said, look, if we don't start investing in our naval forces, you know, the French are, are rebuilding their navy, they'll be in. And then the, uh, there was the Crimea crisis, and it looked like we were going to, you know, fall out with France again. <laughs> and there was a big speech in Parliament, and if the French take London, the whole empire will be gone, you know, if they take the capital city. So at the same time as building a more modern navy, because you can't just click your fingers and build a big navy. Absolutely, yeah. They built these things to protect London as a sort of stopgap measure. You know, were the people stationed here? Was the army stationed here, or...? Yeah, good question. Because they're not... Although we refer to them as forts these days, they're not actually forts. They were... Back in the day, they were called mobilisation centres. Oh, right, OK. And it's a scheduled ancient monument, not because of its great age, but because it represents such a change in warfare. So, in the old days, if you had a fort, you'd have big guns in each fort, and they'd defend the line. And as you suggest, you know, you'd have soldiers billeted there and what have you. These things were supply depots, and the idea was you came up here, you grabbed your spades, your pickaxes, which were held in what's now the cafe, you grab your guns and your ammunition, and you go and tre- you'd dig trenches on the downs, ah. and you'd be shooting the enemy from the downs. And so prior to that, you'd walk slowly towards the enemy dressed in red. You know, that was the great British... Well, that's how the empire was won. But then when the automatic weapons were invented, you know, walking slowly towards the enemy wasn't <laughs> such a cool idea anymore, you know, and, you yeah, know, machine guns could devastate. And so that's where our entrenched warfare came in. We went out of red and into the khaki uniforms. Artillery got more precise, so you couldn't build a conventional fort anymore because it'd be blown to smithereens with precise targeting exploding warheads. And 
boats were going from wood to steel and going from sail to steam turbine propulsion. So it's just a massive change in warfare, and, that, and these forts represent that. So that's why it's a scheduled ancient monument. Thankfully, it was never used because in 1906 these things got decommissioned. Right, okay. So it was a very short time period then, wasn't it? They were actually sort of in use, so to speak. Well, that's about the time it took to build a decent navy, basically. So even though we'd signed the Entente Cordiale with the French in 1904, we still kept these things in use till 1906. But yeah, the the, the big thing why these got decommissioned was the launch of HMS Dreadnought. And it was the biggest, fastest, battleship the world had ever seen, you know, and it was the last time Britain could probably call itself a superpower. Biggest gun, most manoeuvrable, you know, it's an incredible warship. And that, once they launched that, the two-power system had been evoked, as they said. So the two-power system was our navy had to be bigger than the two biggest navies in the world put together. Wow. And so once, once they'd got that afloat, they said, right, oh, that's it, you can grub these things out, root and branch, we're, we're, we're confident the navy will repel any foreign invasion. Wow, and that was the end of the fort, eh? Well, yeah, but you can't help but think whether that confidence was a bit, bit ill-placed, because you're only a few years before the First World War, you know, so, and the advent of the First World War, that wasn't a walk in the park, was it, by any stretch of the imagination, no. you know, so... Just shows you, doesn't it? Does, it yeah. Might, might still come into use, who oh, knows? don't say that, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> right then, so, shall we head outside? Yeah, let's go Back into it. the rain? So I'm quite grateful we're now out of that psyche creepy place. So where are you taking me to next? Well, right in front of us is uh, a gravestone. Oh, yeah. So that's uh, the grave of Major Lebillier. He was uh, a local resident in Dorking. Um, before he moved down here, he was, he was big in uh, Ireland. He was, uh, he was quite an influential figure and qu- quite well respected. And as he got older, he got more and more eccentric. And uh, he, towards the end of his life, he, just, he said, the world's so topsy-turvy that I'd like to be buried head down, feet up. <laughs> and one day the world will right itself and I should be stood the right way up. And he's buried up here on Box Hill? He is, yeah. Upside down? He is, yeah, and it's well documented. There was a big procession that came over the stepping stones, carried his grave up the hill. There was, uh, he instructed that should be, his life should be celebrated rather than mourned, and he asked that these, his landlady's children should dance on his coffin to celebrate his life. <laughs> and he was buried head down, feet up. The gravestone went, got a bit loose earlier on in this century, sort of in the, mid, in the 40s or 50s, I think it was. So they had to remove the gravestone to um, shutter it round so they could set it in concrete. And when they removed the gravestone, they found a pair of hobnail boots with the studs pointing upwards. And they all thought, cracky, it's not him, is it? And it wasn't, but whoever put the grave there just left those there as a bit of a joke going <laughs> That's forward. fantastic. That's somebody with a really good sense of humour. Yeah. I love that story. Well, what an unusual play. I bet that was interesting, trying to dig a grave vertically in the, uh, into the chalk. Yeah, it must have been. It must be quite a shaft to sink into the ground because, yeah. you know, he's going to have to be a fair way under. Yeah, oh, well, better them than me. That's all I can say. Yeah. Well, that was a fascinating story, Andy. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to head off now, but, you know, it's such an amazing place, Box Hill. Is there more to come back and see? Oh, definitely. That, these two things are really close to the visitor centre. If you get out and about on the estate, there's all sorts of things, ranging from prehistory right through Second World War, right through to the Cold War. Fantastic. So loads to see. I'll have loads to come to back soon. Thanks very much. Pleasure.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the National Trust podcast. Join us in two weeks' time when we're heading off on our very own magical mystery tour. Don't forget to subscribe to the series and do give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm looking forward to our next adventure and I really hope you'll join me. Until then, from me, Kate Martin, goodbye. This episode of the National Trust podcast was made possible by Cotswold Outdoor, recommended outdoor retail partner for the National Trust.